We commence today's show talking politics with the founder and president of Righteous Media and host of the Independent Americans podcast, our friend Paul Rykoff. Paul, how are you today, sir? I am well, sir. Happy holidays. Great to be with you again. Happy holidays, and uh, good to hear your voice once again. There is so much to get to. I mean, it as you know, because you host a, a very popular podcast yourself. Uh, in our in our business, it's either feast or famine, and lately it has been feast. Too many news stories, in fact, to keep track of. I mean, I can't keep track of just the Donald Trump breaking news every day, much less all the other stuff that's happened. So, in this hour, we're going to talk about breaking Donald Trump news. We'll talk about Jake Sullivan, the national security uh, advisor. In, in Israel, uh, trying to slow down Bibi Netanyahu. We'll talk about uh, this UN ceasefire uh, resolution passed in the Security Council at the UN despite U.S. opposition. Uh, we will talk about the Supreme Court uh, and this obstruction case they've agreed to hear that will delay the Trump trial and maybe, uh, as I said yesterday, a um, uh, a way out uh, for all these persons that stormed the Capitol. Always amazing to me how um, somebody comes to the rescue of these white supremacists. We'll talk about that in this hour. But we start, I suspect, with this uh, Paul Wyckoff, and that is that Republicans finally made good on their promise yesterday uh, to officially commence this impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. I ain't got to say much more than that. Your thoughts, sir? It's a sad day. I mean, it, it seems like, unfortunately, during the holidays, every day is a sad day in Washington when you look around at, at how little is, is getting done how much division and nastiness and, and how radical many of the leaders in the Republican Party have become. I think, you know, this is what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an important thing to think about. They said they were going to move forward to impeach Donald Trump. I'm sorry, check that. <laughs> we're so used to saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden. And, and they're moving forward on that. I think they will likely impeach him in the spring. Uh, and, and that is a sad thing because there is clearly no connection between Hunter Biden and his father. I think no matter how you feel about this, you can objectively look at the data and understand that this is a very political agenda on behalf of largely the Trump-supporting MAGA wing of the Republican Party. But the question, as always, is going to be, what do the Democrats and Biden do about it? It looks like they're going to go on the offensive. They put Hunter Biden out there to punch back. I think that's important. But I'm always left with the bigger picture, Tavis, and it's that this is a reflection of how deeply divided this country is. Now, we could argue about whether it's 50-50 or 40-60, but there is a percentage of America that wants this to happen, and then there's a percentage that doesn't, and then there's a percentage somewhere in the middle. And those are the folks that I talk to a lot. When I was watching that roll call yesterday, you had Democrats and you had Republicans strictly along party lines, and what you had was no independence. And I talk to you a lot about this movement that I see happening of people who are not Republicans or Democrats, and are none of the above. They're not even necessarily moderate, but they want more options. And this is an example of where there were literally no independents voting yesterday on this impeachment so, uh, uh, move. And I think that there is that, that, that struck me, Tavis, because I think a lot of people are becoming so sick of the politics, and yeah. they're checking out. Less of them want to run for office. They're watching the Lakers instead of watching the hearings, which I could understand given how the Lakers are playing. But I think at the end of the day, it keeps getting worse. Yep. And our enemies are celebrating. You and I talk about national security a lot and global security. This was a good week for Putin. Yeah. When he sees us tied up fighting with each other, another you know, impeachment trial going on, and Zelensky left Washington, D.C. with really nothing yeah. to go back to fight Putin. 
I think our enemies love seeing this, and it's another dark time in Washington. When we come forward, we'll talk about national and global security, but I want to probe this a bit further uh, when we continue our dialogue. Uh, I am curious as to what you're hearing from these independent Americans about this rank, or or let me just call it stank, rank and stank partisanship in Washington right now that's led to this impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden for absolutely nothing. You're listening to Paul Rykoff on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis, Tavis Smiley. Smiley. I said just moments ago that um, in our in our in our in our game, uh, it's either feast or famine when it comes to breaking news, and uh, even as we're on the air, um, stuff is breaking. Um, if you are uh, on your way to Starbucks or have just left a Starbucks and uh, are holding something in your hand right now. As you listen to me, this breaking news, federal regulators are seeking to force Starbucks to reopen 23 stores. The National Labor Relations Board says the locations were closed because of union organizing violating federal law. So Starbucks in trouble for closing 23 stores, um, the government argues, because they were attempting to organize unions. Uh, maybe Paul and I will get a comment uh, in on that. Um, certainly in this uh, <clears throat> this year where I saw the time uh, person of the year, which I think was Taylor Swift, as I recall, uh, I was hoping and thinking, Paul, that it might be labor, that labor might be the person of the year. They had a heck of a year this year. Uh, uh, I mean, all across the country, from California to the Carolinas, labor uh uh, straighten their backs up this year. Dr. King used to say all the time that uh, when you straighten your back up, you're going somewhere because uh, folk can only ride your back when it's bent. And labor straightened their backs up this year. And in so many ways, they made a huge statement. I was hoping that they, uh, over Taylor Swift, might be the person of the year. And now you have the government flexing and saying that Starbucks must reopen these 23 stores in part because they uh, they closed them. Uh, because of uh, their concern, their fears about union organizing. Put a pin in that. Maybe we'll get back to that. But I want to continue now with uh, the breaking news of yesterday of uh, the Republicans succeeding in doing exactly what Paul and I said um, that they said they were going to do when they got there. Didn't happen under McCarthy, but it's happened under this new speaker. Uh, And uh, they are now moving forward with an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden for absolutely nothing. That said, uh, Paul, you're talking to independent Americans every day. You host this very popular podcast where they all tune in and uh, and, and and communicate with you. So what 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 do they think of this of this rank, as I said, stank partisanship uh, in Washington right about now? Well, I think we got to you know start by naming it for what it is. You know, this new speaker is radical. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is on the fringe of, of the Republican Party. This is not a Ronald Reagan or, or, or a, even a George Bush type Republican. I mean, this guy is very much a right winger on the far end of the MAGA spectrum. He's been behind Donald Trump and with Donald Trump and the MAGA wing of, of this party, the, the radical right wing part of this party is very much in control and they didn't get what they want from McCarthy. So they got rid of him and put in a new speaker and he is doing what they want him to do. And I think what that is doing is obviously mucking up the works. I think that's important to note that their objective is chaos. They want to slow things down. They want to be objectionists. They want to show that government doesn't work, in part so that someone like Donald Trump can ride in and, and be really authoritarian and take over and, and try to attempt to clean everything up. But the larger impact, beyond the fact that they're just blowing everything up, is I do think they're driving independence away from the Republican Party. Mm. Half of this country, 49 percent 
of this country is independent, unaffiliated. They say, I don't want Republican or Democrat. We want more options. And that is a movement that I think is strong and growing. 60% of young people are independent, 30% of of African Americans, 50% of veterans. And a lot of these folks put country first. And when they see this, it turns them off. It doesn't motivate them to vote for Donald Trump. It doesn't motivate them to vote for Republicans down ticket. The question is, can the Democrats pick it up? Because I think the reality is a lot of folks say, you know, Trump is crazy and he's authoritarian and he's radical and Biden is too old. Right. And that may not be everybody, but that is a lot of people. And I think the Democrats have to show that Biden can be strong, that they've got a new generation of leaders and that they have another option. What I'm looking for also is third party options, unaffiliated options. We do have now three independents running for president, Cornell West, RFK Jr. and Jill Stein. They're not going to win. But they can get a significant enough percentage to tip this one way or the other. And that doesn't take into account someone like Liz Cheney or someone else running in that could also take away from independents. So independents are going to decide this election. In a couple swing states, could be a couple thousand independents that go one way or the other and decide this election. And I think they're going to decide the future of politics. Problem is right now, they don't have a lot of people to vote for. Mm -hmm. I think that is changing. But in the meantime, they're going to default for who they feel is less bad, who is less radical. At the end of the day, I think that right now looks more and more like Joe Biden. What's amazing about your comment to me, uh, and I, I sort of chuckled to myself while you were you were talking, not out loud, but uh, certainly on the inside, because when you said uh, uh, Americans want more options, uh, that's not just independents. There are Democrats listening to me right now who want another option. You've seen the polling. Even Democrats uh, don't think that Biden is their strongest nominee this time around. So Democrat Democrats want other options. Republicans, many of them want other options. Uh, and so it's not, again, just independence. And yet, that said, we have this conversation, Paul, perennially. You and I have had this time and time again in the years that we've known each other. Uh, and I've been in broadcast longer than I've known you. So I've had this conversation, you know, ad infinitum, ad nauseum about, about that notion of more options and why in this country we can't seem to move past a two-party system as many other nations do. Um, so, again, everybody wants more options, but we don't have them. Why do you think that's not the case? Well, I think the forces are perpetuating themselves. I mean, the Democratic and Republican Party are, are, are a duopoly, and they have a stranglehold on the system. You know, in, in most places in America, you only have two options to vote for someone on the ticket. Mm-hmm. In many places, like California and New York, you only got one option. Same is true in, in very red states. So the structure is rigged toward perpetuating these two parties. I do think that is changing. And everybody says, you know, how can that change? You know, these po- folks are fringe candidates. A man called The Rock was in D.C. a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And if he did run, let's just run this all the way through. You could say, oh, he's just a celebrity. Oh, he has no political experience. Everything that was said about Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump, if this man ran, he would be popular. He might not win, but he might. And I think if you actually talk about specific candidates, then it kind of blows up the system. And I think that's what people are ultimately hungry for. It's not going to be, in my view, Mark Cuban. It's not going to be Liz Cheney, but there is a new generation of people, especially that could come from politics or sports or business, who could be viable and are winning. And I'm going to point to one example that I may have mentioned in the past. Mm -hmm. There is an independent mayor in Colorado Springs named Yemi Mobilati. Most folks probably haven't heard of him. He's a Nigerian immigrant, a uniter, a very positive guy, and he showed that independence can win. It's, it's a small city, but it's an important city. And I think we will see more of those types of leaders who say, you know what, I'm country first, I'm community first, I'm issues first, and I'm checking out of both parties. And if people actually fund them, 
support them, and vote for them, we're going to see more of them. So I, I view it as a movement. You're, you, you, know, you understand movements. Mm-hmm. I think this is a political, social movement of people who want more and just don't want to wear any jersey. They want to be free agents just like Otani, and they want to be able to go out in the market and pick what team they want. Well, if, if they if they get Otani kind of money, I ain't mad at them. Cause <laughs> <laughs> right? Did Otani they, get... You know, that's the new generation too, Travis. I think it's really important, right? Like, yeah. if you were going to go shopping for something for your kids, right? And you said, hey, I'm going to go get a Christmas present for my kids. Yeah. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you had one option. You had to go to the toy store, right? Now we have all these options in every other part of our life, but yeah. we still, right now, only have two options for president, and they're old white guys who don't seem to be that popular. So there is an opportunity here. And I also think, Tavis, there is a movement of young leaders, especially in the Democratic Party, that are kind of being capped because of Biden. And once Biden is out of the way, I think we're going to see a much more wide-open landscape. And similarly with Trump, when he's out of the way, I think you're going to see a much more wide-open landscape. And that also opens the landscape for independent third-party candidates and people we might not be thinking about. Yeah, I'm still thinking about Otani. What did he get, like $700 million? Is that what it was, $700 million? Seven hundred million over ten years, you know. So that, you know what? So he's going to sell a lot of jerseys. Yeah. And and in the end, that that might be you know a, a smart investment. I mean, yeah. But I think that you know that's that that's what's going to happen right now. The Democrats are going to have to make the case, just like the Dodgers did to Otani. Why should we put our money on you, right? Yeah. And, and I think Joe Biden's frankly having a hard time with that. There is there is a new generation coming up that you and I have talked about that I want to mention. Yeah. There's a, a young governor in Maryland named Wes Moore, mm-hmm. who I think is on fire. I think he's been coming on stronger. I think he's doing all the right things. He's putting wins on the board. And, and, and a lot of folks are saying, you know, it's too soon for Wes Moore. He's too young. I don't think it is. I think when Biden is out of the way, Wes Moore is going to be coming on strong, and this entire country is going to be talking about him. Well, certainly people are paying attention to him, uh, including you and me and a few other people uh, watching Wes. We've, we've known Wes. You've known Wes for years. I've known uh-huh. Wes for years. And so we're all excited to see him become uh, uh, the first African-American governor of Maryland. Uh, and we're watching uh, to see what his uh, future will will, un- will unfold. Uh, one last comment on Otani. I think I may have seen my last Dodger game because the price of those tickets for for Dodger games next season have gone through the roof. So I may have, I may have had my last Dodger dog uh, given that seven hundred million dollar payment. Well, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna need some, you're gonna need something to compete with my Yankees and, and and Aaron Judge and Juan Soto. So this could be you know a West Coast East Coast matchup for the next ten years. It could be it could be. Speaking of matchup, okay, I, I feel like I feel like uh, the late great Alex Trebek. Uh, on Jeopardy, because uh, I'm looking at the board, and I'm going to do something I rarely do. I'm going to let you choose from the board. So, uh, Paul, what do you want to choose uh, for our next conversation? Uh, the Supreme Court and this obstruction case, uh, Jake Sullivan in Israel trying to slow down BB, the U.N. ceasefire uh, uh, resolution despite U.S. opposition, or Starbucks trying to block union organizing. You choose, Paul Rykoff. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll take all of the above for a thousand, but I'll, I'll just say this: I think the Middle East is, is, is a good go, place. To let's focus. go there first. Go, go. Yeah, because I do, I do think it, it is a priority, and you and I have talked about this in the past. National security, in my view, is always the number one priority because it's about human lives, it's about bombs and, and babies, it's about nukes, right? And I think the reality right now is uh, we've got a two-front major conflict happening in the world in ukraine and now in gaza and israel thankfully we don't have a conflict in taiwan with with china but that is the big third prong that we always need to be talking about and i think in israel it's important for folks to understand netanyahu is not popular 
you know, he, he was uh, the popularity equivalent of, of Donald Trump in his own country. So mm-hmm. he was very divisive. He was not an effective leader. But when this, when this attack happened on October 7th, the country rallied around a unity government. And that provided some boost to them internally. But now it's back to Betty Netanyahu again. It's the same guy. And, and, and Biden is trying to keep him in check. He's trying to keep him uh, restrained. And I think we're going to continue to see this conflict between Netanyahu, who wants to be very aggressive, very militant, uh, doesn't seem to have enough regard for human casualties inside of Gaza, and Biden trying very hard with, with Blinken and, and Jake Sullivan and so many others to pull them back. I think this is a defining moment for Israel in the same way it was for us after 9-11. 9-11 was terrible. October 7th was unimaginably bad. What happened was horrible. The question for Israel is, what do they do about it? How do they target Hamas without taking out civilians, without losing the narrative without losing the world's support. And right now, I think many folks feel that Israel has gone too hard and they're losing the world's support. So that's the critical point right now. So, What's going to happen next? And I think that Netanyahu and Biden have to communicate to the world what happens afterward. And that's where they're really failing, Tavis. Nobody's mm-hmm. made any kind of articulation about what Gaza is going to look like when the fighting stops, which could happen in a couple of months. It could happen in a couple of years. But what does the future of Gaza look like? And if Biden and Netanyahu aren't going to step in and do that, then the U.N. and others have to do it. Well, we, we know it's going to look like uh, physically uh, a wasteland. It already looks that way. It's going to look like a wasteland when they get done with this thing. Um, but to your point about Biden, his language of late, the last few days, is starting to change. He has not as yet said ceasefire, as, as I keep saying every day. I'm tracking this. He's not said ceasefire. He's not said de-escalation. He has said that they are going about this in an indiscriminate way. Israel is now going about this war in an indiscriminate way. He has raised concern about civilian casualties. He has said that they are losing support. Just those words, indiscriminate and losing support, his tone is starting to change. How are you reading that, Paul Wyckoff? I think that's right. I, I think it's right strategically. Uh, I think it's it's right politically. I think he's hearing from people, especially in the left of his own party, but he's also hearing from objective people who are saying, hey, this is a lot of civilian casualties. And is there not a way to do this that is more precise, that is that is more surgical? And, and we've watched this happen in 20 years of conflict in America. You know, th- there's a way to fight uh, our enemies in places like Afghanistan that is that is counterterrorism, and then there is counterinsurgency when we occupy an entire country like we did in Iraq, and, and we see how that went. So I think the question is, can Israel take out Hamas, which I think is a strategic priority. Hamas is an enemy of Israel, an enemy of Jews, an enemy of peace-loving people in the world. But Hamas is not the people of Palestine. And the question is, how do you separate those two, which is unimaginably difficult. But I think it starts with continuing to communicate that that is your objective and to try to communicate what the future is going to look like and maybe just show a little more heart, right? I think there are plenty of people in this country after 9-11 who said, you know what, plow the whole place, make it look like a parking lot. We all heard those people, but you have to have restraint, you have to have heart, you have to have vision and try to articulate what the future will look like more than just bombing the heck out of every building. And they don't, they haven't done that. I think that's where the biggest strategic failure is. It's a failure of communication from Netanyahu to articulate what is the future going to look like. And it's in direct contrast to Zelensky. Zelensky has been so masterful. He's been so restrained. I still think it's a miracle that Ukrainians aren't hitting inside of Russia every single day. But he's talking about the future of what Ukraine could look like. And yet, Kiev, that's a global city and a peaceful place where everyone is respected and, and admired. That's a future that he's putting out there. 
and it's very much in contrast to what Netanyahu's doing in Israel. And yet he left Washington this week pretty much empty-handed, uh, and it raises serious questions about what happens next in Ukraine. Have the American people uh, gotten over writing all these billion-dollar checks uh, to uh, President Zelensky for his war against Russia, or Russia's invasion of them, I should say, to be more exact about it. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Supreme Court and this obstruction case and slowing down these Donald Trump trials. A federal judge froze one of these cases uh, yesterday. It's a lot going on, uh, and I'm glad to have Paul Rykoff right now on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds Sounds different. This, this is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Paul Rykoff, who is a national security veterans affairs and political analyst, founding president of Righteous Media and host of the very popular podcast, Independent Americans. Back to our Jeopardy board, Paul Rykoff, of trending topics. Before I move to the Supreme Court, uh, the federal court, Donald Trump, uh, Starbucks. Uh, let me ask another question here. One final question, I think, uh, about uh, the Israel-Hamas situation. Uh, I saw your interview with uh, Barry McCaffrey, General Barry McCaffrey, and th- the question for me is how much longer the U.S. can sort of go it alone, as it were. And by go it alone, I mean this U.N. ceasefire resolution that passed despite U.S. opposition. Uh, I mean the increasing number of civilian deaths that we see now inside of, of Palestine, courtesy of um, of, of, of of Israel's um, uh, uh, engagement, uh, in the way that they're going about it. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that even when Biden is saying publicly that the way they're waging this war is indiscriminate, even when he's saying publicly that they're losing support when the UN passes a ceasefire resolution and we, we oppose it, the only person to oppose it, when the, when the numbers of civilian deaths are increasing daily, I don't know how much longer Biden can hold the line. I think that's right. I think, look, both parties, the Republican and Democratic Party, have been ride or die with Israel for a generation, right? They said, we are with you no matter what. Um, that is not holding in this environment because, in part, as I think we've kind of put a point on earlier, Israel's overplaying their hand. Um, I think they are just having too much damage on civilians and not making their case effectively. You know, I I think it's always important to note that they have a right and an obligation to defend themselves. And what happened on October 7th was a massacre, like the likes of which we've never seen. Children abducted, women raped and brutally murdered, just unimaginable. But that almost seems to be in the past for many people because we're seeing images now of of children being killed. So I, I really keep coming back to this. Netanyahu is a failure. He failed Israel before this happened. He's failing Israel now, and he's going to fail Israel going forward. So until Israel finds out a, finds a better leader to articulate their case on a very practical level, I think they're going to continue to lose support in America and around the world. Biden is, is getting hit from all sides. He's going to get hit from folks who want to support Israel. He's going to get hit from the young people and liberal late left. And I think there's a no-win situation here. But if I had to, to predict kind of where this would go, Tavis, I think there's a sticking point, and it's the term ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And as a military guy, I can understand why. If you're living in Israel and you have your people kidnapped, held hostage, and there are still rockets coming at you, the idea that they will stop punching back doesn't feel uh, reasonable, doesn't feel realistic to them. So I think what you may see is Biden try to push forward some other kind of a military pause 
something else that's a different kind of language that achieves what people want from a ceasefire without saying ceasefire. Because if you're, if you're in Israel, you're still getting hit. Mm-hmm. And the idea that if they stop hitting, Hamas is going to stop hitting doesn't feel realistic. One other point here that I think is important. This could be a lot worse, Tavis. A couple of months ago, if we would have said Iran's going to stay out of it, Jordan's going to stay out of it, Hezbollah is not going to engage from the north with 100,000 troops, we would have said, you know, that's pretty unlikely. But what Biden's trying to do right now is keep a lid on it. And that's a very, very hard thing to do. But that is what I think is his objective yeah, but, most but, of all, to try to contain this. But Hezbollah is starting to rumble, though. I don't think ultimately they want any of Israel's smoke. They don't want none of that smoke. But they're starting to rumble, though, as you know. Yeah, and, and, and look, I, I think ultimately what you've got is this election coming. And and, and Biden is, is trying to make sure he's still president at the end of the year. And, and the alternative is, is Trump. And who knows what he would do. So I think this is a moment for Biden to try to be a voice of reason, to try to show his statesmanship that he's got over his lifetime, but also show that he's not just an 80-year-old guy who's out of touch with, with, with the future. Yep. So it's a really hard thing to do. And I think they continue to fail to articulate well from the White House. And, and frankly, it's, it's the exposure of Biden. He's weak on this. He's not doing a great job of articulating on a lot of things, even to his own party. So this is a time for them to dig deeper into that bench and try to communicate with the American people in a different way. Let me uh, let me ask one military question finally, and then we'll move on to some 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 politics we have to get to before we lose the top of the hour here. Um, in short, um, what does it mean that Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, basically left empty handed? Uh, does it mean that uh, that the U.S. is over, that, that fellow citizens are over uh, writing these blank checks to Ukraine? No. I think what we saw was a national embarrassment. I am ashamed by the fact that Zelensky, in my view, you know, a Churchill of our time, a true hero representing an amazingly heroic people, left here empty-handed. And again, he left because of this radical confederate sometimes white nationalist wing of the republican party that's blocking this support it is a small group of people that that doesn't even have consensus in their own party but has a lot of influence so biden's trying to work the edges but i think we do have to recognize that i explain this to my kids this way tavis Mm -hmm. putin is a bully putin wants to rebuild the soviet union and you can't let a bully keep beating people down they have taken potentially hundreds of thousands of ukrainian children What Putin has done is, again, unimaginable, and we can't allow him to roll through Ukraine and then potentially roll into Europe. America's got to stand by our allies. And if I would have told Ronald Reagan that we could take out 300,000 Russian troops and not lose a single American life, he'd take that in a second. So this new Republican Party has lost touch with what works and what's practical and also the need to stand with our allies. So I know folks are tired of war. I know they're worried about the expenses. But the, but the downside of having Putin rule Europe with nukes and being, being unstopped by the West and being unstopped by America is, in my view, unimaginable. I think this is, this is the closest thing we've seen to World War III, and it's continuing to evolve with or without us. So we don't want to tune back in in a year and find out that he's sitting in Poland and he's rolling across Europe, because that is possible if the U.S. and West buckle. Mm-hmm. All right, let me pivot now. When we come forward, uh, I'll pivot to uh, the political news that I want to get to. We, we've done some of that already, but, but specifically uh, these cases. There are some interesting developments on these Donald, K, uh, Donald Trump cases in two regards. One, federal judge uh, has basically frozen proceedings in, in that court. Uh, and the Supreme Court, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, breaking news while we were on the air, has agreed to, uh, to decide whether or not Jack Smith and the government went too far. 
uh, in prosecuting these 300 plus persons uh, who stormed the Capitol. We'll explain that in case you have not been uh, on top of that story. But there's all kind of Trump news. We'll do that whether we want to or not when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. More of Tavis Smiley and Paul Rykoff coming your way right now. So, Paul, as you know, there are two things happening simultaneously uh, when it comes to uh, the myriad cases that Donald Trump uh, is trying to face down. Uh, A federal judge, this is the sister judge, Tanya Chutkin, uh, the black woman judge, she has paused the January 6th case against Trump uh, in her courtroom uh, amid former President Donald Trump's appeal to dismiss the case based on immunity. So that case has been paused. At the same time, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to decide whether or not they believe that the government went too far uh, in using this provision of the law that allowed them to prosecute uh, these 300 plus persons who stormed the Capitol uh, for disrupting uh, violently uh, um, uh, government business, uh, essentially. And so the Supreme Court has to rule on whether or not they think the government went too far uh, prosecuting these persons if they believe that the government went too far. And by the way, another federal court on a two to one decision, uh, the, the one was a Trump judge who, in fact, said that he believed that the government did, in fact, go too far. So if you're trying to read what Trump judges think, that one judge Uh, said that he thought that the government went too far. So we'll see what these other Trump appointees and other conservatives on the court have to say about this. But we're waiting on that decision, which is going to come somewhere down the road. And we'll see what happens in this federal courtroom. But at the moment, it certainly appears that Donald Trump's legal team is succeeding at kicking this ball down the road, making it more unlikely that there'll be any sort of conviction uh, that really matters between now and Election Day. All that said, how are you reading those tea leaves? It's gut check time for America again, Davis. I think that the democracy is on the line. People hear that all the time, right? But here, here's what that means. Is our justice system going to put up guardrails that stop people who try to violently overthrow the government? Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's, that's the level of seriousness. Whether it's Trump or it's the participants who I consider insurrectionists, not rioters, who participated in what happened on January 6th. Is there accountability? for trying to violently overthrow our government. And if not, we're in for a dark and, and dim future. And I think, obviously, Trump's strategy here is to run out the clock. And I've noted a couple things about this, that I think maybe the most important piece. It's not just about the election. Mm-hmm. It's about the fact that he is an immediate national security threat. He has already said that he will motivate people to do violent things. He can put, even if he loses the election, he can still put a couple million people who are angry with guns into action. And that makes this much more than just a political horse race. So every day, in my view, that Trump's walk in the street is a bad day for America because he's undermining our national security. He's fermenting violence. He's supporting our enemies. And he, in many ways, is much more of a threat to our future than, than Vladimir Putin. It's like a one-two. And so the moment now is, is on these courts to show that there will be accountability for a person that we all know is criminal. We all know doesn't have the interests of the country in mind. And there's also a test for the Democrats. Can they make this case publicly to, to, to defeat him at the ballot box, to punish his, his party that continues to support him, and just promote reasonableness, right? At the end of the day, maybe the saddest part of this is our kids are watching, Tavis, right? Mm-hmm. And every day they're looking at this nonsense, and we kind of got a whole generation of kids 
who think that this kind of stuff is okay and that they can get away with it. So it, it's gut check time for our justice system, and it's gut check time for all Americans. we got to be involved. We can't check out and tune over to sports when we feel like we need a break. we got to stay vigilant. we got to stay active, and we got to stay involved all the way through for however long it takes because this is literally about the future of our country. Our remaining moments with Paul Rykoff when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Let's close, uh, Paul, in the few minutes we have left with this. Uh, I mentioned earlier this breaking news while we are, uh, are on the air. The federal regulators, uh, specifically the National Labor Relations Board, says that uh, Starbucks needs to reopen immediately uh, 23 stores that they closed because of union organizing, which is a violation of federal law. Uh, I have not as yet seen a comment from Starbucks uh, but um, I'm looking as we as, as we're here. Uh, oh, I do. Um, uh, the, uh, let me read this right quick. Each year, as a standard business, each year as a standard course of business, we evaluate the store portfolio and typically open, close, or alter stores. The company said it opened hundreds of new stores last year and closed more than 100, of which about three percent were unionized. Um, but that's a, a comment from uh, Starbucks spokesperson. Uh, having said that, the federal government ain't buying it. They believe. Uh, and have reason to believe that Starbucks closed at least 23 stores because they were afraid of union organizing. I raise that in part uh, to bring this thing full circle because you host the Independent Americans, pod, Independent Americans podcast uh, on uh, on your network. And I have to believe that many of these independents are also union workers. Uh, and I'm curious as to how they have read or are reading this uh, uh, summer of strikes that we went through, this season of strikes that we are still in, and now this news that the federal government is stepping up its effort to make Starbucks reopen stores that they say they closed because of, of union organizing. Tell me what uh, independent Americans have to say about this movement for labor this year that I think, once again, should have gotten them the time person of the year and not Taylor Swift, but I digress. I think independence, most of all, are practical. And I think they understand that too many people in this country are getting screwed. And and labor has been really taking a beating over the last generation. But I think you're right that labor has had a tremendous year. And the people are taking back power. It may be in small places. It may be in individual companies. But I think there is a movement underway from people who feel like the system is rigged and that working people aren't getting what they deserve. I come from a union family. My brother's a union mechanic in the South Bronx working right now, and I've seen the importance of labor throughout my life, and some folks haven't. I think that's part of the challenge, that folks have gotten further away from labor because labor's been crushed. But labor on a win like this I think is important, and I think anytime you can level the playing field for working people, it's good for America. And I think yeah. that crosses all partisan lines. And, you know, as it's the holiday season, I want to try to give people hope. And I think that labor leaders are a sign of hope. There's a lot of political activists and social activists that are rising up to this moment. And, and the guy I talked about earlier, I know your audience and, and, I, and I know the issues you talk about. If you want some hope this holiday and, and you're feeling beaten down, look at these activists, look at this new generation and, and look at Governor Westmore. I think I'm going to talk to you a year from now, and a lot more folks are going to know who this guy is, but he embodies a lot of the values we talk about. And I'm not even a Democrat. He's just a guy I'm rooting for, and I tell people sometimes if you're peeling down, look over at him. He's one example of a next generation of leaders that are fighting for the people. And I think that's what we need especially to be rooting for around the holidays. 
Yep. Uh, speaking of the holidays and uh, and the new year, with 60 seconds to go here, um, as an American, uh, how are you feeling about your country right about now? Ooh. I'm worried. I'm worried. And I think a lot of folks are worried. And, and I think that a lot of folks are scared. And I think we got to name that, Tavis. Yeah. I think leaders like you and me and anybody with a microphone have to talk to people about our values. We have to do things like be kind and take care of each other uh, and take that holiday spirit and, and try to carry it over every day and do what we can in our individual spheres of influence to be kind, to be nice, to be supportive, to be strong, but to look out for one another. And I think that that spirit has been lost too much in the last year around our political system, but it's not lost in our communities. And leaders like you and so many others that are listening can can, can pass that on because energy is contagious. Yeah. And we can pass that good energy and take it into a new year. And I believe that courage is contagious. And Paul Rykoff, one of the most courageous people I know, uh, always speaking truth to power, uh, a military, <clears throat> excuse me, a military veteran, uh, and founder and president of Righteous Media and the host of the very popular podcast, Independent Americans. Paul, happy holidays. Good to hear your voice once again. We'll talk sometime soon, I hope. But thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you, my friend, and to all your listeners. I hope to see you at a Dodger game against the Yankees in the spring. <laughs> thank you, Paul. More Tavis Smiley when we come forward.